Please, don't be alarmed. We're not going to harm anyone. We're mutants. We're not what you think. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? They have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. There are forces in this world who believe that a war is coming. We're here to stay. The next move is yours. We'll be watching. Hang on to something. Welcome to Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective Series. Welcome to Mutant High. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. You talk pretty tough for a guy in a cape. Hosted by Jacob. Dangerous man. We have to keep an eye on dangerous men. Stuart. You can't beat him. You know you can't. And Arnie. My God, you ever showed up, pal? No. Not when I'm awake. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of the series. Who will you stand with? The humans or us? Culminating in a weekend of release review of the newest X-Men film, X-Men First Class. They will never, ever forget it. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. Let's do this. Today we're discussing X-Men Origins, Wolverine, starring Hugh Jackman, Liev Schreiber, Danny Houston, Dominic Monaghan, and Ryan Reynolds. Directed by Gavin Hood. I'm Arnie, the Merc with a mic. I don't know what that means. I'm Stuart in L.A. This is Jacob. I'm the best at what I do, and what I do is sometimes I'm just not very nice to movies. (laughs) (laughs) And I love you for that, Jacob. Let's dig in. Boy, you know, I've been a real big fan of the X-Men series so far as the non-comic book guy. I gotta say, so far, so good on X-Men. Barring that unfortunate Corman TV pilot, (laughs) I feel like it's been pretty smooth sailing up until now well when watching this Stuart, i couldn't help but think back to what you said back in our howard the duck podcast which listeners can find in the archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com where you said you didn't know a lot about comic books but what you hoped to find were people who enjoyed good filmmaking and up till now we had brett radner yeah i mean he's a working <laughs> filmmaker i i don't know that i would call him a film artist but he's a competent craftsman at least from the two movies that i've seen and Brian Singer. Yes, who's uh, a little higher caliber, but in the same working mode. Yes. Well, at least both of them I knew. Both of them had films I'd liked before. Who the hell is Gavin Hood? This was the first little warning to me is we go from directors who love them or hate them. They're established. And of course, Brian Singer will always be on a pedestal for usual suspects for me. The Rush Hour trilogy okay but gavin hood is like is he a somebody i'm gonna venture a guess that i'm probably the only person of of the three of us that has seen his movie that won him the oscar stotzi he won an oscar yeah no he won the best foreign language film for stotzi and i saw it even before it won the oscar i was it was a movie featured in a film festival i happened to be working and i thought that was crap Like, I was appalled when he won the Oscar because he's very competent with camera. Like, with a little bit of money, he made a very professional-looking movie. But highly sentimental, overly overwrought. All of the emotion is just pummeling you in the face with how it's trying to get you to feel. And it just, I 
was not a fan and I was not happy when the Oscar went to that film. I thought it was yet another case of the foreign film going to the most sentimental, the most mawkish movie. And so, no, the, knowing that it was the director of Sotsi inscrutably behind the next Wolverine movie. Well, what it really said to me was that nobody else wanted to take on this project, given the deadline that they had and what they were forced to do. I don't understand this. So here's Wolverine. Here's Hugh Jackman, who's huge by this time. They can't get competent people to do what's supposed to be a huge summer blockbuster. I mean, my expectations going into this Wolverine movie when it was first announced, first coming out. I mean, it's Hugh Jackman. He's a huge star by this time. It's Wolverine, who's one of the biggest comic book characters. I was expecting at least a director who I heard of before. Like, I guess I just don't understand how they could go wrong with a Wolverine movie starring Hugh Jackman. It seems like the biggest thing ever. You said Hugh Jackman was big. Well, notice he now is a producer of this film. And I kind of wonder if maybe they wanted someone who they could push around and Hugh go, make me look good and get it out on time, under budget, and really leave the power in Hugh's hands. Well, I definitely think that being on time is the most important thing, that Fox definitely values the X-Men property. It knows that this is its big series, and, and I agree with you, Jacob. They know that this is their cash cow. They want this to be big. So that means they have to make their deadlines. And this was, I believe, in every case, X-Men is usually the first movie out the gate of just about any summer, with the exception of maybe the first one. It's usually coming out in May or right at the beginning of June and they want to get the jump on summer so it's tight it's a tight turnaround and I always think that these X-Men movies run into crunch time when they're trying to finish and that's kind of how it goes that seems to be the drill at this point I'm still not going to take Hugh completely off the hook though because as most people know Hugh is Australian and this film was shot in Australia the fact that they moved production to Hugh's native land it doesn't seem like that would be a coincidence I think he had a lot of power in saying, well, you need me for this film. I want to stay home for a bit. They actually shot this picture somewhere that wasn't a backlot because... <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't a backlot. Actually, I'm surprised. Usually these movies are shot in Vancouver. You're telling me they went down under? A lot of this was done down under. There were some pickups in Vancouver, but the vast majority of principal photography, Australia and New Zealand. Well, you wouldn't know it because I think everyone acted against the green screen, but it's interesting. Stuart, speaking of green screens, I, I mean, I think one of the most notorious things about this film is how it was leaked out early mm -hmm. and yep. is pre a lot of the effects were done. I may or may not, depending on what lawyers are listening to this podcast, may have seen that leaked version <laughs> uh, because it was on the Internet. So that means the studios wanted it there, mm -hmm. right? That, that's my excuse anyway. That's my defense. So I saw that pre-release version, that leaked version that didn't have all the effects. And that's the only time I saw this. I mean, but the movie had had so much bad press before that leak came out or once that leak came out that I wasn't really hyped to go see it. It wasn't the Wolverine movie that I wanted from all the news that I was hearing. Mm. Yeah, I do think that that leak was another victim of the crunch time that we were talking about, how Fox had to make its deadline and maybe didn't take all the precautions of protecting its asset. And yeah, some tech guy got out on the internet with it before it was totally done. I never did see that version. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw 
part of the movie on TV, and honestly, it didn't even hold my attention enough to see it. I actually saw this opening weekend in theaters. My wife, again, bigger Wolverine fan than I was based off the past three movies, but she was very excited to see it. I was leery going in. I'd been kind of lukewarm, as I said, on the past three X-Men films, and knowing that it was a director I'd not heard of and that I couldn't really find any big screen credits for, knowing this was his first big picture, I was very lukewarm towards it, but I did see it opening weekend, and what I thought, well, is the same as what I'm about to think now. I do remember, Arnie, at one point, early into now playing, we talked about doing the X-Men retrospective connected to this movie. I'm so glad we have another chapter after X-Men Origins Wolverine. But here we are. How about a plot summary? Before we dig any more deeper into our critical thoughts about the movie, why don't we tell people exactly what it is that the origin of Wolverine is this time? X-Men Origins Wolverine tells the definitive history of talent antihero Logan, starting in 1845 when he was a sickly child known as James Howlett. One fateful night, James' father has words with the father of Victor Creed, an older boy who will eventually become Wolverine's nemesis Sabretooth. Victor's father shoots James' father dead, and little James in a fury sprouts bone claws from his knuckles and stabs the murderer in vengeance. In his dying breath, Victor's dad confesses that he is also James's biological father, therefore making Wolverine and Sabretooth half-brothers. Now fatherless, James and Victor run away together and spend the next 120 years fighting in several wars. Sadistic Victor develops a love for violence and attempts to rape a woman in Vietnam, resulting in he and Logan attacking their own unit and consequently sentenced to execution by firing squad? In Nam? <laughs> it was tough. It was hell, man. Don't go back there. Just don't go back. Don't think about it. Moving on. Because both men have amazing healing properties, they shake off the bullet wounds and find immediate employment by Colonel William Stryker, now played by Danny Houston. Stryker is assembling a mutant commando unit with the express purpose to hunt down a fallen meteorite made of adamantium, the most powerful metal ever found on Earth. But Wolverine leaves the commandos behind when innocent blood is spilt in Africa, and he returns to the Canadian wilderness as a humble lumberjack. Six years later than that, Victor is killing off the disbanded mercenaries and has come for his half-brother. Wolverine survives the attack, but he's not able to protect his school teacher lover, Kayla Silverfox. To avenge her death and stop Sabretooth once and for all, Wolverine reluctantly reteams with Stryker and agrees to a painful experiment in which his entire skeleton, including his claws, is coated with the extraterrestrial adamantium metal. Stryker orders Wolverine's memory erased and Logan goes on the run. He's taken in by kindly old farmers, but as soon as they bequeath him a motorcycle and a signature leather jacket, they're killed by mutant marksman Agent Zero. Logan kills Agent Zero and tracks down his old teammates Blob and John Wraith, played by the Black Eyed Peas' Will I Am, who put him in contact with a Cajun named Gambit, the only mutant known to have escaped Stryker. Gambit flies Wolverine to the Three Mile Island nuclear plant, which doubles as Stryker's holding pin for captured mutants like Scott Summers, the future Cyclops. And at the island, Wolverine is reunited not only with Stryker and half-brother Victor, but deceitful lover Kayla Silverfox, who staged her death as a way of coercing Wolverine to let Stryker experiment on him. Silverfox really loves Wolverine, but was afraid of what Stryker would do to her captured mutant sister Emma Frost if she didn't cooperate. Stryker unveils his top-secret weapon, Deadpool, Wolverine's former Swordmaster teammate played by Ryan Reynolds, who's been genetically enhanced by the DNA of all the captured and killed mutants. 
So now, on top of his mastery with swords, he has Wraith's power of teleportation, Cyclops' laser eye beams, an adamantium skeleton like Wolverine, and I guess he can turn on lights? (laughs) Very, very scary stuff. Wolverine and Victor put aside their differences and decapitate Deadpool. Stryker then shoots several adamantium bullets into Wolverine's head, and Silver Fox, as her dying act after being wounded in the crossfire, uses her mutant powers of coercion to send Stryker away from Three Mile Island in a trance until he's picked up by very angry military personnel for his stabbing of a general. Cyclops, Emma Frost, and the other island mutants find safe passage from a benevolent Professor X. Gambit discovers Wolverine and the Rubble alive, but with permanent memory loss from the adamantium bullets, and the two part ways as Wolverine wanders the countryside alone. At least until 2000's X-Men, or maybe the Wolverine sequel they keep trying to get made in Japan, although Darren Aronofsky's left the project, I guess. Oh, I wanted to swear so much during that recap. I oh oh <laughs> biting my tongue. <laughs> but that's why we have the rest of the show. Right now, we just wanted to let people know as much as we understood of the movie before we talk about what didn't make no sense in the movie. There were a lot of things that didn't make sense, but man, did shit blow up? <laughs> this is your defense. Oh boy! We'll get oh, that worked for X three. I don't know if I'm going to give another movie a pass. All right, this movie starts in 1845, and Jacob, as the comic guy, I'm going to turn to you. This isn't original to the movie, right? Wolverine's really supposed to be, like, 200 years old? Because I hate that. Here's the deal. Wolverine never had an origin story. That was the great thing about him. There was mystery there. It it was like Darth Vader before the prequels. He was cool because there was mystery. Boba Fett, he was cool because there was mystery. We didn't have to see him as a 10-year-old. And they would always hint at these different background stories with Wolverine. What is his past? I mean, there was times where they alluded that maybe he's like hundreds and hundreds of years old going back to the samurai. And he always had this history with feudal Japan and he was depicted as the Ronin. And then finally, because of the success of the first X-Men movie, Marvel knew that there was going to be a Wolverine movie, that his origins were going to be told. So they took the preemptive strike to come up with an origin for Wolverine. And the first couple of minutes are pretty true to the comic that Wolverine was actually this sickly kid in 1845 up in Alberta, Canada, finds out, you know, the truth about his father. You think the aristocrats actually his father. And no, it's really the landskeeper that he actually accidentally kills. And then you get that great, no, and I am your father, Star Wars cliche. Which can I just say means absolutely nothing that one guy with mutton chops actually ends up being the father when it's the other dead guy with mutton chops. I mean, like (laughs) they're both dead. They're both on the ground. We never see them again. If that is an origin, it left me with nothing. I have one more question about the 1800s and then I want to get the hell out of the 1800s. (laughs) Okay. So Wolverine kills his biological father. Now, am I the only person on Earth, or at least on this call, who thought that the biological father was played by Liev, and that the stepfather was played by Hugh, and there was, like, some makeup and digital fakery? Because I swear, the guy who comes in and tells little Logan, you're gonna be better tomorrow, looks a hell of a lot like Hugh Jackman. And the one who little Logan impales looks a hell of a lot like Liev to me. I don't understand this difference at all. I mean, it makes even less sense when you realize that his real father is named Thomas Logan. Presumably that surname is what Wolverine takes to start calling himself Logan. So where the hell does Victor get Crete? The group? (laughs) 
No, Victor Creed was around before the group, so the group got it from him. <clears throat> all that I'm- Christian alt rock uh, all ties down to this uh, serial killer. <laughs> Listen, obviously there were some women with loose morals. Who's to say Mr. Logan had married Mrs. Creed? <laughs> after all it was the 1800s we all know how promiscuous everybody was back then the thing i didn't know is victor was so fine with his father's death in the very beginning i mean and he's sitting there sharpening his nails i just want to know if victor was always evil and did he like plan the father's death because he says to the fake father the his father's calling for him and he goes down and as soon as logan kills the dad Victor's like, he deserved it. Let's go. I found that an inconsistency. But even more to the point, I don't like the idea. I'd never thought about him having an extended lifespan beyond what normal humans do. It really brings in the question of why did he stop aging as a mid 30 something, you know, like why didn't he stay a young boy? Like if he doesn't grow old, at what point does that stop? If he has a healing power, he's regenerative, then that is the peak of human life? No, it's not. I mean, you start dying for the moment, I think you're like 22. I think that's what they say. It's a slow roll downhill. So I guess it just has to be Hugh Jackman's age, is however old Wolverine is. But I don't like the idea that mutants were popping up 120 years before the 60s. This is supposed to be a story about the 60s counterculture movement. And now all of a sudden, it's about pre-Civil War mutation. Well, Stuart, if it makes you feel any better in the comics, they've actually alluded to the fact that people like Wolverine and Sabretooth are perhaps an evolution of the wolf, of their homo lupine, if you will, which doesn't sit any better with me, (laughs) but they've actually explored that if you want to read about it. (laughs) The other question I have, are Wolverine and Sabretooth siblings in the comics? No, they're not. There was the landskeeper and his son, but it was not Victor in the comics. It was just a random kid whose last name Logan ends up taking as an alias when he goes on the run for killing his father. The creator of Wolverine, his original idea was for Sabretooth to be the father of Wolverine, but that never evolved into the comic. That was kind of just backstory he came up with when he came up with the character. But no, there is no relationship between the two characters. I don't mind it. I mean, it you know, they're both canine mutant creatures. I could roll with that part of it. That didn't really bother me. I was happy with X2. I feel like X2 gave us anything that I ever needed to know, and the rest of that, I don't, like, wonder what he was like as a teenager. I certainly don't wonder... Well, actually, I do wonder why a Canadian ends up fighting the American Civil War. Can you explain that one? I can't! That That's that's in this movie. Now, in the comics, Wolverine did fight in World War One and World War Two as a Canadian. Yes. In the Canadian forces, he did not fight in the Civil War. <laughs> I don't understand why this is happening. Why is he fighting in the Civil War? Someone, I want someone to explain that to me. According to the commentary, Laura Shulin Donner says that many Canadians fought in the Civil War. Oh, let's name one. Logan? <laughs> Uh, At least they fought for the North. They got that much right, that at least they would be in the northern part of the fight. 
Oh, they were always on the good side, weren't they? I found that to be very clever. Personally, you know, they always hear about the Civil War being brother against brother. Why not Wolverine against Victor there? That would have been interesting. That would be way too smart for this film. I know Stuart had a problem. He thought it pushed the boundaries of taste to have the Holocaust tied into superheroes. And I was fine with that because I thought they were tasteful for it. They didn't exploit it. They didn't have young Magneto using his powers to wrap wire hangers around Nazis' necks and strangle them. Here, they piss me off. They push those boundaries of taste. When I see Wolverine and Sabretooth getting out of the boats on, on the shores in Normandy and <laughs> Sabretooth doing his little catwalk up into the bunkers and shooting Nazis. And I'm sorry. Oh, I yes. was just thinking of Saving Private Ryan where the, the door drops down on the boat and everyone gets shot. I was waiting for Wolverine to get shot in the head and he just pops back up while everyone around him is dying. Like, this, I thought, was not in good taste. Oh, come on. I gotta say, I loved the opening credit sequence. I actually, once I get past the stupidity of Wolverine being 200 years old, I love all of them in the wars. I think it's great. These are vicious people. This is what they do for fun. They wouldn't even need the draft. And maybe it's because I grew up playing Castle Wolfenstein and all of this <laughs> that I just don't give a crap. <laughs> but I don't. I mean, Call of Duty, Wolfenstein, Wolverine, World War II has always been fodder for entertainment you go into the holocaust and you're off limits but you go to the beach of normandy you're fine i've stormed the beach of normandy on my xbox many times so i had no problem with this opening whatsoever offended no ridiculous yes i mean it just looked stupid to see yes a moment directly lifted from save a private ryan except now there's a man pouncing around on all fours and gnashing his fangs <laughs> i mean that is stupid right we can agree that looks stupid right well, even worse is that throughout this whole montage, we're supposed to realize that Victor Sabretooth has this bloodlust and Wolverine's trying to pull away from that bloodlust and hold on to his humanity. And there's the scene where Sabretooth is firing a machine gun into a bunker full of Nazis and Wolverine just kind of has this really uncomfortable look at Victor smiling and laughing like, I'm supposed to care about Wolverine at that moment that he's kind of feeling sympathies for these Nazis being mowed down? Like, I just don't understand how they're playing this opening scene. I'm right there with you on this one. This is what we're learning about this montage, is that this is where Sabretooth goes quote-unquote bad, and Wolverine develops a conscience. But I don't understand how many wars you need to fight to realize that war is hell and you don't want to do it anymore. I mean, if he wants to be a humble lumberjack, you know, the trees are that way. You know, you don't put on the uniform. It just seems absurd to me that these two would even hang out with one another. And I just feel as a montage that demonstrates who they are, it actually ends up making Wolverine look like a real puss. <laughs> I don't know necessarily that that's true. I mean, the thing about Wolverine is he always has the berserker rage. He is kind of torn. He is a vicious person. And he and Creed in the 1800s said that they'd always stick together. So Creed wanted to go to war. He goes to war. I think that what we're supposed to get out of this, having seen this many, too many times, is that it's an evolution. What I can't figure out, having seen it so often, is was Victor always evil? Or did war turn Victor into this bloodlusting creature? Because what we see is, when they're in the Civil War, they're fighting together. By World War II, Logan's like, ah, oh, he's enjoying this a little too much. And by Vietnam, Sabretooth's off to rape a local. So, I think we're seeing the effects of war on two different people. One becoming more shell-shocked and withdrawn. The other becoming more crazed and bloodlusty. 
It's like this. The, the last three X-Men movies have done a really good job of playing with moral ambiguity and showing you different sides. And here, it's become real cut and dry. There's no longer any debate. This guy's the bad guy. Wolverine's the good guy. Doesn't matter what they're doing. You're always going to understand it that way. And I just yawn. I'm right there with you, Stuart. The other films, even X3, which we thought, well, Stuart and I thought were more popcorn fair. We still had a big debate on that about moral ambiguity and is it right to take this pill? I don't see any depth to this film. Mm-mm. It's about nothing anymore. By removing the other characters and by now making it about these two characters, one of which we haven't seen since the original one and had no real affection for, it really is now feels imbalanced. I really question the judgment of building a whole movie around Wolverine, just from watching this opening. Liev Schreiber and Tyler Maine have so little in common that I think other than the deeply initiated, many would probably be shocked to know they're the same character, wouldn't they? At least I like what they did with Sabretooth in this movie. At least they gave him a personality. This matched more the quote-unquote real Sabretooth in the comic book. At least, you know, he's sitting there egging on Wolverine. I like that. That's what I didn't like about the other Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. So, yes, it, I wouldn't think they were connected if I was in Stuart's shoes and I didn't really know the characters that well. But I like what at least what they did with the character this time. And we can all agree, Liev Schreiber can act. We did not want to see Tyler Maine try to mangle these lines and forge this kind of bond. Like, that would have been a disaster. Agreed. Tyler Maine wanted the role, and everybody said no, thankfully. Yeah. I don't know if Liev Schreiber was right for it, but Tyler Maine was wrong for this part. But the other thing is, yeah, I agree with you that this movie is just a dumb action film. That was kind of what, going into X-Men 3, I expected it to be. Because, again, Brett Ratner versus Brian Singer. But I was impressed with how much moral ambiguity X-Men 3 had. This is nothing. This is a story that I really have to ask, did we even need? Didn't we get this in X-Men 2? Yeah, we did. I mean, absolutely. I was satisfied. As the non-comic book fan who didn't know these characters before watching the movie, I had no curiosity about what happened to Logan prior to what X-Men 2 explained. He makes the decision he doesn't need anymore. He leaves Stryker for dead in that movie, and he says, I'd rather be with the X-Men than have to dig into my past anymore. And I agree with him. I wish he was back at the school and not in this lame (laughs) movie. Going back to that first X-Men film, what I said I like about Wolverine, there's two versions I liked about Wolverine in the comics. One was the odd couple teen up, where they always team them up with a teenage girl, so I like that about that first film, where it is Wolverine and Rogue. The other version I like is the more solitaire version, the more where they, they go back to perhaps these Japanese samurai roots. I love samurai movies. I'm a huge Kurosawa fan. And I always liked that part of him is that he had this loner. He was the mysterious Ronin that had lost his master, didn't know who it was. And I don't care who his master is. I don't need to know who that is. I got enough in X2. He was part of some government experiment that he rejects. He's moved on. You said this is Wolverine. He's the glue that holds these films together. I feel like I'm in another X-Men movie because here he is teamed up with a whole other cast in this film. And within 10 minutes into this film, he's with a whole other group of mutants. And I just, I don't want that in a Wolverine film. If it's going to be Wolverine, let's see him be himself, not team him up with more mutants. I kind of agree with you. Although, two things. First, I kind of thought that that was a badass team. I kind of liked that team. (laughs) I thought that I would have liked to have seen more of that team. And second, it's just a way to introduce the people Wolverine's going to fight throughout the movie, isn't it? It's not like this is a team film. 
you said we're 10 minutes in and he's on a new team and we're 15 minutes in and he's quit. And now we know it's like a video game. He's got to go back and fight each of these bosses at the end of each level. Here's my perspective. You take Wolverine away from his old buddies at the school. He's kind of dull. He is simple. He doesn't really like to fight. He just likes to mope. (laughs) They put him with this team of mercenaries that are supposed to kick ass. And what does he do? He runs away. I feel like it's becoming painfully clear. I mean, not only is this movie not giving me a satisfying X-Men movie, it's making me realize I don't really like this Wolverine character very much. He's not very interesting. Ouch. And Artie, you said, oh, he's got the berserker rage and he, throughout all these hundred wars that he's been in, he learns that he wants to reject that. I never see him go all crazy. Like whenever something horrible happens with this mercenary team or throughout the wars, he's already rejecting that. I never see him have this transition where he's down with killing whoever or raping whatever villagers to where he's with this mercenary team and he wants to back away from them. Like you said, Seward, he's always kind of moping. He's always kind of a little pussycat. The writers need to be a little bit more bold. We needed to see a Wolverine that was more threatening. We needed to see a character that had no morals at the beginning of this and then present him with a situation that made him question that. The writing is not there. The character arc is not there. They always, in every single scene, want to reinforce that, no, Wolverine would never hurt anyone innocent. Yawn. All right, I agree with you guys there. And in fact, talking about this opening team scene, the analogy I came up with when watching it is this was almost like you had a date with your girlfriend and then you take her back to her place and realize that you really wanted to go out with her roommate who you only got to see for five minutes. Ryan Reynolds? (laughs) Ryan Reynolds, the roommate. Yes. (laughs) I saw this movie in theaters, like I said. I'm a Ryan Reynolds fan and I'm not going to make apologies for it, okay? I like the man. I think he's funny. I think he has charisma and on-screen presence and I will see anything he does. I have seen most of his oeuvre, and I realize most of it's really bad romantic comedies. I don't give a shit. I like him, and seeing him as Deadpool, I don't know Deadpool. I'm not a Deadpool fanboy. I had never heard of Deadpool before this movie. I loved Ryan Reynolds' lines in this. He stole the movie, and I just kept waiting for him to come back, and was so pissed that he never does. I'm right there with you, Arnie. Finally, someone on this team that I like. He's got the smart mouth. He doesn't mind killing people. He's fun. And really, when it comes down to a superhero movie, and again, this doesn't have the the weighty issues of the first X-Men film, or the second, or even the third, or something like Nolan's Batman films. It doesn't have those weighty issues. So give me the fun. Hell, it doesn't have the weighty issues of Generation X. Teen angst. I, I could have used some teen angst in this film. I mean, Ryan Reynolds at least makes this film fun. He makes watching innocent people die fun. And <laughs> is that wrong to enjoy? Maybe, but movies do that really well. And he's a Jedi. He's a real world Jedi. He's like deflecting bullets like blaster bolts. And he's using the sword like lightsabers. I'm loving him. Yeah, and I love he he gives Sabretooth a hard time. Good calls him a bag lady with his long <laughs> nails. Like, he's actually willing to stand up to Sabretooth when Wolverine's not. I think I'm coming down exactly the opposite from Arnie here. I've never seen Rhino Reynolds in anything, and there's nothing that I know that he's associated with that I would voluntarily want to see, including this movie. So (laughs) my sense is that he came from frat comedies and that he's still been playing that character who's always kind of got a joke for everything. Those characters always play as supporting characters for me. I don't want to watch a whole movie where somebody... I mean, that's like Arnold at his worst when he's cracking one-liners. Or I mean, it's kind of like a throwback, I guess, to those kind of action guys, although he doesn't have the build of them. I, I just... I don't find him compelling at all. I don't miss him when he's gone. I don't know why he's here. 
I think of him as being a big enough star not to need this. Well, this is the problem. This is a trailer for the next movie, the Deadpool movie that Ryan Reynolds had already signed to star on. And in order to keep the Deadpool character, Fox had to interject him because, as I've said before, Marvel being like Pac-Man gathering back up their character rights. So what we see here is it worked for me, a trailer to make us want to see more of Deadpool. And it did. And it really hurt the rest of this movie for me on my first watching, because how can you have such a great presence at the beginning and never bring it back? It's like the light shined so brightly for just a few minutes and the rest of the movie was dim without it. This first introduction to Wade Wilson, you know, if that's what the Deadpool movie was going to be like, yeah, this worked as a great trailer because here's the two minutes I liked of the film. Oh, see, I had a different impression. I didn't think that he was what the spinoff would be yet. I thought this was Peter Parker before he had been bit. I've already heard that because of what they do to Deadpool at the end of the movie, if they do make a Deadpool, it's going to be far more like what we see at the beginning of this movie than the end. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you, if you have a matinee idol star, you don't want to cover up his face and not allow him to talk. But I'm with Stryker on this one. He'd be perfect <laughs> if he shut up. I'm sorry. That was the movie I wanted to see. As for the rest of the team, I was kind of torn. A lot of them are people I'd never heard of. I'd never heard of Agent Zero. I don't even know. Does Dominic Moynihan even have a cool name? Or is he just like the electronic guy? <laughs> Bolt, which is also the name of an animated dog. But hey, it's kind of cool, barely. You got Will I Am strutting like he's on stage. I got a feeling somebody called in a bunch of favors because there is no reason to put that man in that role. Can we agree? This never works. This never works when you take an established musician and puts in the mo- I can name two examples. Please correct me if I'm wrong in the forums or you guys. Dwight Yoakam and Cher are the only musicians that have ever pulled off that transition. Everybody else is just coasting. You know, LL and Ice-T and all the Ice Cube, they're still primarily musicians that get into movies. They are not actors. This can't work. I've never seen singers become actors. You're right. It's always pandering when you take especially a very hot young audience. Let's face it. Will I Am is the Busta Rhymes. Not even, because at least Busta's got personality to spare. This guy is like, I wouldn't know who he was. Does he act like this on stage? Surely he must dance around and have some choreography or something, <laughs> right? They must give him something to do. It wasn't Will I Am also the guy CNN used on election night 2008 as their Jedi hologram to talk about the election. Like, obviously, this was the person that pulled in the young kids at the time. Wow, you're right. He was involved in, I do remember the video that went out with all the celebrities doing whatever that song was. Yeah. I I guess he... God, that makes me... I I don't know if I can put it out of my mouth. I guess he's a generational voice. (laughs) But I... I... (laughs) I can't do it. I can't retract that. No, he is not. He is not a generational voice. He does not make any sense in this movie. No one wanted to see Will I Am in the movies except Will I Am and Mom I Am. And that's it. I'm sure Apple Dap and the other one were happy that they could front the stage for a little bit. I mean, you know who looked good out of this is Fergie. She's like, well, at least I was only in that Poseidon flop. So Wolverine leaves the team and goes off to be a lumberjack. 
And here's where I'm really wondering if the movie's gonna work. Stuart, you said it right. He's a pussycat. And I'm not liking the Wolverine in love scenes with his little backwoods, John Cougar, Mellencamp type life. No, this is the kind of action movie I hate. If you want to get Stuart angry, riled up, have my own little Wolverine, like claws popping out, <laughs> rage shredding the film, it's you give me a monosyllabic, no personality action stud who has nothing to do except love one woman, and then you take the woman from him, and he like stares up into the sky and goes, No! <laughs> and spends the rest of the movie killing people. That is the worst. Haven't we already seen this isn't this what kick-ass was making fun of that whole the girlfriend dies and you got to avenge her i mean cliche 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 it's not just comic books i mean really any action movie from the 80s any arnold movie any sliced alone movie the women just exist to be objects to make the men angry and give them the excuse to go kill anyone that they want to it's pathetic and also to spout off some fake native american folklore <laughs> so they could get their name oh I mean, my god not only was that myth stupid, but it, it was not even applicable. You know, she was essentially telling him some Native American myth about how the wolf was created because it wandered away from the moon that he loved or whatever. But the truth is, this moon tricked him and dumped him. I mean, it was the moon's fault. So while Wolverine's off being lovey-dovey, something occurs that I just don't understand. Sabretooth shows up and kills Bolt. What did the Hobbit ever do to him? Nothing. It's a poor plot. It's, yet again, another example of terrible screenwriting. Okay, let's walk through this ruse. The whole thing is they want to get Wolverine to agree to let Stryker give him a metal skeleton, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's everything. So the plan is, ha, 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 we will have him think that all of his old team is being killed. We'll actually kill one member of his team, the stupidest one. Let's go with the light bulb guy. <laughs> we'll kill him. And then when Victor shows up for him, he'll believe that his girlfriend died. But here's the thing that makes no damn sense. The girlfriend is a mutant that has the powers of coercion. <laughs> so why doesn't she coerce him to go back to Stryker and then the Hobbit doesn't have to die and Victor doesn't have to kill? It's well, there's a there's stupid. a line at the there's a line at the end where she's like, I really did love you. My powers don't work on you. Oh, okay. So, so right. magic? He heals mm -hmm. from the coercion because it didn't work on Sabretooth either. So I guess she can't coerce the healing. <laughs> she couldn't say, that. hey, my sister's being held by Stryker. Could you help me break her out? Mm, uh, no, that's too hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, her sister turns into diamonds. It's not like they could slit her throat. It's terrible. It's terrible writing. But that is why he has to die. He has to die because they have to convince Wolverine from a newspaper headline that Victor is coming to kill him. And furthermore, the only way that Wolverine could kill Victor is if he has metal bones. That's what's going to finally give him the, the upright. Not that he has big-ass claws that come out of his fist versus the little Lee press-on nails. No, he has to have metal claws. But that's what we get out of the fight in the bar, is we get to see that Wolverine is no match for Sabretooth. It, which is just stupid. But fine, they need to come up with a reason, so whatever, we'll move on. At least it's short. Everything in this movie is short. I, I might even go so far as to say perfunctory. It's like, we get one establishing shot of everything, right? It's like, five minutes of Wolverine on a team. Now five minutes of Wolverine as a lumberjack. Now five minutes of Wolverine pissed off about his girlfriend dying. Nothing in this movie lingers, which is, I think, one of the problems. I might be able to go with this whole cliche, one man avenging one 
one-woman thing that you hate so much, Stuart. I could go with it if it was sold to me through performance and storytelling, but this all feels so rote. It's like I'm reading Cliff Notes of Shakespeare. No, this is Cliff Notes of every 80s action movie out there. I mean, I wrote, I don't know how many times in my notes I wrote cliche, and then I looked up and it went back to Commando or some Sylvester Stallone movie, Rambo 2. I mean, they took every cliche from 80s action films and just spliced the film together, CGI Hugh Jackman over, you know, Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger, and you got this film. Yeah, I, I agree. And I thought the X-Men movies were better than that. They were better than that. Up until this point, they were chess games in which people were having debates as they were having fights. And here, it's a throwback to action movies I never liked, even in the 80s. That said, after we get done with this, after Silver Fox is supposedly killed by Victor, the movie kicks into high adrenaline gear. And yes, it's dumb. Yes, it's cliche. But let me tell you, right after Silver Fox dies, I think we get the best scene of the whole movie as far as action goes, or anything really, just the single best scene of the whole movie, which is the bar fight between Wolverine and Victor. I love that fight. That fight is awesome. It is so cool. Just the use of the powers, the way it goes inside, outside. I really found that to be an extremely satisfying fight. I'm guessing you're probably the only one because I didn't. My thing is, again, and I talked about this with the Karate Kid. I love martial arts movies, so I'm very picky about my fight scenes. And when I'm seeing really quick cuts like I did in this scene, that tells me these people don't have any skills. They don't know how to film it, so they got to do quick cuts. So it looks like there's action when there really isn't. And, and that's what I wrote down. I'm like, oh, quick cuts. Bad action. I think Liev Shriver looks like a genuine fool with those nails on. Like, every time that they popped out and he's pouncing around on all fours, I was embarrassed for him. I didn't know whether a better physical actor could pull that off, but I know that he does not look right in any action scene. I thought he did well. I was impressed with his performance. I was very concerned about him taking the role, especially from Tyler Maine, because of the physicality of the role. It's like, how could that even pretend to be the same person? But I really thought, yes, I thought the fingernails were stupid. Right. And fingernails against bone claws. I, give me bone claws any day. Exactly. But what I liked about it was Liev had the agility. I came down the middle on the whole panther leap thing. At times, like in the school hallway later in the movie, I thought it was just ridiculous. Other times, I thought it kind of worked. It depended on how extreme they did it. And in this fight, it didn't really occur that much. He was agile, but he never did the full-on running on all fours thing. It just was really brutal, and I give a credit to Liev and Jackman for being able to give the fight any sense of weight, because despite the script being as thin as the paper it was printed on, I kind of felt some kind of fraternal bond between these two. It's worth noting that he was originally cast as Stryker. I don't know why he didn't end up with that part, but that's what they cast him as. And he's not physically built like Jackman is. Jackman is jacked in this, and you couldn't mess with him. Liev is kind of puffy, and he just doesn't look right. I just didn't buy any of these scenes. It looked like wire foo with a guy who was not prepared for the physicality of the role that he had been put into. 
I just didn't notice that. I didn't see it that way. I thought it was pretty exciting, and he ends up kicking Wolverine's ass. I didn't really notice the physicality, because, you know, later on in the movie, Jackman's running around naked, and... Yeah, that's exactly my point, is, like, there's a modesty to Liev here, that he he knows that he can't do the shirtless fight scene that's really required of the genre. He just, he won't do it, because he's not, it wasn't his role. I mean, he would have been a much better striker. He's great as a villain, and I do like his dramatic moments, but I don't buy him any time that he's in combat. And I don't really like much of this action. I mean, you're talking about, well, at least it's a kick-ass action movie. It's a movie in which people run around on blue screen. I feel like they're never actually in the scenes that they're pretending to be in, and that takes me out every time. I didn't think any of this action was good. I will say that this movie has some of the worst CGI I had seen on screen in years. But I didn't notice it during this fight. There are certain scenes. I actually started a countdown in my notes of how many terrible CGI scenes there were. And I lost count in the double digits. But there were like three things I started keeping track of. And the first was just really, really terrible CGI. But in this fight, I didn't notice it. Yeah, there's some CGI and wire foo and things, but I thought the editing kept it kinetic. I didn't see it as editing to cover up. I saw it editing to keep it fast-paced and moving, and I just, I don't know, I got adrenalized during this fight. Well, maybe it's just because it's about time something happened in the film. I mean, I I, I could understand you there. Yeah, no, I I agree. It didn't leave much of an impression, but since most of my impressions were bad, I guess that's a good thing. So, we're getting the bone scene again after this. Like, alright, so he's finally beaten into submission and goes back to Stryker, because he thinks if he gets a metal skeleton, he'll be able to finally take down Victor. That's the whole point of agreeing to it, right? Why does Stryker want to give him the skeleton? Because they're trying to make him into a weapon they can control. No, they're trying to make Deadpool! I actually think it's both. I know that they need Wolverine's DNA for Deadpool because Wolverine's a better healer than Sabretooth. But what does the metal have to do with getting his DNA? Right, that's the thing that's always been confusing because I always thought as the non-comic person till I saw the movies that Wolverine's metal claws were part of his mutation. But it's not. It was something gifted to him later, as this scene demonstrates. It's not in his genetic makeup. Well, I think also there were two things going on beyond that. First of all, they didn't want to kill Deadpool, and they weren't sure if even with the healing factors, he could survive the bonding of the metal. So they take the expendable Wolverine, who has the same healing power, and see if he can survive it. And then, when he does, they say wipe his memory. If he has no memory of anything, then they'd be able to manipulate him however they want and turn him into whatever tool they want. Uh, We'll talk about what they want in a minute, but doesn't Victor have the same healing properties? Couldn't he have just done it? They say at the end that he does not heal as well as Wolverine and he would not survive the bonding. But this even killed Wolverine for a few minutes. Yeah, okay. So it would have taken Victor longer to come back from the dead. 20 minutes. We don't have that kind of time. We need a Hugh Jackman (laughs) naked scene now. Stats. (laughs) and we get one and you know what i'm very secure in my sexuality to say my god that man is ripped and i wish i i i couldn't spend enough hours in the gym to look like that if i could i would quit my job and just be a gym rat 
that props to Jackman. He really commits to this role, even when the part doesn't deserve it. He really wants to <laughs> deliver for the fans, and it's total body and mind. And I, when I say that he's that Wolverine's a dull character, I'm not putting any fault on Jackman. I think Jackman has proven four movies in that he loves this character and he wants to make this work the best way he can. He's just he's gotten a bad storyline. When he comes out of that water with the veins and the muscles, that neck, that neck's as big around as my waist. Yes, it's it's beautiful eye candy for women and men who enjoy men being eye candy. But again, it's unnecessary. I saw that in Next 2. Yeah. We saw him pop out of there. We, we saw the lab. If this is the biggest secret they have about Wolverine, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine, well, they already gave that away. I would much rather be watching X2 than this movie, that's for sure. To that point, how does this striker compare to Brian Cox's striker for you guys? Because I honestly didn't know until this viewing that it was the same character. <laughs> this guy does nothing to bring back Brian Cox to me. Well, Cox wanted to do this, and then Leah was going to get the part. I Like I said, I think Leah would have been more interesting uh, than Danny Houston. I've seen Danny Houston in about a dozen movies, and every time he doesn't work for me. It's just something about the guy. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't have charisma. I don't like looking at him. To me, he doesn't come off evil enough. He seems about as evil as, like, a sleazy corporate guy. He might be a great villain in Wall Street 3, but I don't see him working as a military badass. He doesn't command your attention. I mean, anytime he's on the screen, we're looking at Hugh. We're looking at Victor. We're looking at somebody else. I'm not sure when all this is supposed to be taking place. I'm figuring sometime in the 70s. Is is that the vibe you guys got? Well, you know, I kind of did the math on this, and that if they were in the Vietnam era, and they end up at Three Mile Island, and that there were six years in between it, I think this is 1973, moving it up to 1979. The reason I bring it up is because Stryker, I got a very 70s vibe off of him. For some reason, I know Rambo 2 was in the 80s, but I I got the Charles Napier, the character he played, what was it, Murdoch in Rambo 2? I kind of got that vibe, which Arnie, like you said, didn't we talk about how he would have been a great corporate villain in that film too? He doesn't seem like an evil military guy. He seems like a a generic, kind of uptight, conservative businessman. More to the point, I don't understand this character anymore. In X Two, he was someone that hated mutants, hated his own son, was using his son's mutant power to coerce mutants to kill one another. And here, although that ultimately is sort of the plot, for much of the movie, he is assembling mutants. He is getting metal to enhance them, to make them better, to make super mutants. When did that change? Well, I believe there's a line, they call this out, where he says he's using mutants to fight mutants, which... I guess was pretty much his frame of mind in the second X-Men film, but he's trying to create this ultimate mutant for, we're going to take a preemptive strike against mutants and, and create this ultimate weapon to wipe them all out. I think that's kind of what he was going for here. Right, that's what he was going for in 1979 at Three Mile Island. Six years prior, when he's getting the light bulb guy and I got a feeling and all of that into a team to get a meteor... It's like he likes mutants when he needs them, and he doesn't like them when he doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It's very wishy-washy. It doesn't make complete sense, and I'm not even sure... I mean, he's working for generals. I get a feeling that it's some kind of government op. That said, I think he's just playing the really long game here. In X-Men 2, he says he's a scientist. I think that he's being very scientific about it, and assembling the mutants with the long game of exterminating them after he makes them indestructible. That's so good. (laughs) That's such a good... After we make them invincible, we'll kill them. That's brilliant. (laughs) This guy is a scientist. What a genius. 
But the other part is he wants to control them. He's basically making them drones. He's sitting back with a joystick and doing his thing. So he's not making them so powerful in any way that they can't rebel. He has the ultimate control of the super beings he makes. But that's not what he wants. He wants to get rid of them all. By having the one that he can send in to do it, his Deadpool, which is under his joystick control. So Is he? Well, yeah, he's got the little computer, and he controls what Deadpool does. Maybe not action by action, but he has complete control over Deadpool via computer console and brain implant. I didn't get that impression, but we'll, I guess, talk about that at the end. So Wolverine runs off to stay with some old folks, because there's another action movie cliche. <laughs> This is pathetic. The kindly couple that takes in the superhero? Yeah, I saw Superman. (laughs) And I guess it allows for some quote-unquote comic relief. I saw Edward Scissorhands where he poked the the, the waterbed, yeah. (laughs) Horrible! That was some terrible CGI, too. It's like he has Roger Rabbit claws on in that bathroom scene. (laughs) Thank you! I actually wrote that down. Worst CGI probably of the film were those claws. It looked awful. Oh, God, it's, it's terrible. I couldn't believe how cartoony they were. But then Agent Zero shows up. Who the hell is Agent Zero? Agent Zero, he is a mutant who is part of the Weapon Plus program where the government, again, these government agencies were trying to create these ultimate weapons. He has the power to absorb energy from an impact so he could jump off like a skyscraper. When he hits the ground, it doesn't hurt him. Here, I I think in the film, his power is that he can shoot real good. Yeah. Which means he's like any other sniper that was trained by the military. Not sure how that's a mutant power. He also can like leap into moving helicopters. No, I didn't understand. Of the team, he was the one that felt least mutiny. Like everyone else had something that made them supernatural. This guy, I could have believed, was human. And why does Agent Zero kill the old folks and then go, Logan just killed two civilians? With bullets? Does Wolverine even use a gun? He's got steel claws now. I don't understand that motivation. Haven't we been saying this the whole time, Artie? (laughs) This is just yet another instance of that. This is what I call the Mel Gibson effect of, like, whenever they want to wind Mel Gibson up in one of his action movies, they roll in an innocent character, be it a daughter, a wife, a puppy, and just murder it in front of him so that he can look anguished in the sky and go, no, and, and it gets him all riled up again. I mean, I feel like Mel Gibson really popularized this cliche, and here, it couldn't be more pathetic to me that, like, these kindly people that, like, oh, we have a son, and he, he's just your size. We'll give you your trademark clothing. We'll give you a motorcycle, <laughs> because we collect motorcycles, and, uh, you know, like, I think that's it. Like, you want a cigar? Okay, we should die now. Let's die now, and then you can avenge us. <laughs> but he already is avenging Kayla, so why do we need a second avenging? It's the Mel Gibson effect. You need to keep it going. Anytime he's like, uh, you know, even temper, he's, he's you know, had some comedy, he's not in fighting mode. We need to rile him up, so you gotta, you gotta kill old people. <laughs> it's terrible. I, you know, what can I say? It's hoary. It's just couldn't be more of a screenwriting give me. It's not motivated. These people come in from nowhere and then disappear nowhere. Am I supposed to feel bad? I don't. Well, in addition to feeling bad for the actors, I feel a little bit bad for the environment and all the carcinogens that the scene put into it. They blow up a barn, they blow up a helicopter, everything's blowing up. We talked about Rambo 3. 
tank versus helicopter. Tank wins. Ridiculous. <laughs> and in Jaws too. Jaws versus helicopter. I was going to bring up Jaws. Guess what? There's a motorcycle versus helicopter here, and the helicopter actually pulls up. It actually gets out of the way. Wolverine actually has to jump up to the helicopter for once. They know how to use a helicopter. I, I got to give him kudos for that because <laughs> I've been sick and tired of seeing helicopters taken out by land and water objects in these retrospectives. <laughs> It's taken out by a person. But at least he's a superhero person. <laughs> at least he has adamantium claws. But he cannot fly, and he's propelled. All right, I got to say about this movie, everything in this movie is spectacularly shot and heroic. Every single piece of it feels like a comic book splash page, right? The scene of Wolverine flying through the air at the helicopter, it's utterly dumb, but it looked cool. I'm going to give you that one, Arnie. I like that scene. Yes, it is stupid, but at least it does look cool. At least here, it's a fun scene, you know? Taking out the rotors with his blades, you know, kind of reminded me when he's scratching up the Statue of Liberty spikes in the first film. I I did enjoy that. Here's the one action scene that I could get behind you with. I'm not going to get behind you on this. No, it's terrible. And yet another blue screen effect. I'm like, he's clearly, that helicopter's clearly not flying. Well, no, duh, Stuart. We know this. It doesn't look good. And, you know, it makes me disappointed because the cinematographer for this movie is the guy that shot Predator. And I remember praising to high heaven how that guy was able to put us right in the jungle and how great that Predator looked because of this camera work. And here I'm like, oh, this is just a bunch of computer crap. Well, he did what he could with what he was given. He didn't really do the computer crap. He did all of the other scenes. And like I said, every single frame of this makes every character, even Will I Am and The Blob, look like the biggest heroes ever seen. You know, if I'm ever in a movie, I want this guy shooting me because I'm going to look badass. I could be wearing scrubs and still look badass. I didn't think these people looked badass. I guess it's just an aesthetic difference. I thought this movie looked shoddy. For all of its money, I thought everything in it looked incredibly phony. Right down to the claws. I agree with you, Stuart, but this one scene, this helicopter scene, this is the 10 seconds of this film I could actually get behind and enjoy. I did not like the CGI of the claws going into the Humvee. I thought that was, again, just terrible cartoonish. And I understand he's got, like, super steel claws, but really, wouldn't just the sheer force of it cause his arm to move somewhat? What, now you're concerned about physics after praising the helicopter scene? (laughs) You're the guy that (laughs) likes the action scenes, Arnie. You're the one that's supposed to be saying good things and defending these from us who thinks it's terrible. And I did. I said I liked the explosions. And I don't know exactly how many times Wolverine has to walk away from a CGI explosion, but we see it a lot. Yes, and I cringe every time. Well, then somehow Logan knows to go to Vegas. Yeah, that's random. (laughs) Where Will I Am is teaching the blob to fight. (laughs) Who is the blob? I don't get it. For much of the movie, he's called Fred Dukes. And is that a character from the comics? Yeah, he actually appeared, I think, in X-Men number three very early on. He's a circus freak, which he's always sad. It's not like he's some military guy that put on all this weight because he had to cope with not being a mercenary anymore. He's just this big, fat circus freak who happens to have these powers. I mean, his skin is actually extremely stretchy. He, bullets would just absorb in him because they, they can't penetrate his blobbiness. You know, I, I felt like this in, in X3 where it's like we need 6,000 bad mutants for the x-men to fight let's just start pulling random characters out of the comic that i felt like that's what they did with the blob here like the way they came up with the name and the blob in this film it's wolverine calls him bub and fred dukes misunderstands him for saying the blob yeah oh come on 
No, and all of this fighting, this boxing slash fighting, whatever the scene is, is all to get them to talk about the island, which I don't know why if mutants were being corralled and killed there, he wouldn't voluntarily be giving up. Well, I don't even know if Fred Dukes is a mutant in this film. It's just he put on a bunch of weight. He's just a fat guy. Like, <laughs> Was that supposed to be a, a mutant change in his DNA? I don't know what's going on with him in this film. Well, he is a mutant because early in the film, it's shown he's impervious. He puts his fist in a tank and blows it up. That's right. Okay. So he has some kind of powers. He just happens to be really fat, too, at the end. Got depressed. <laughs> he let himself go after stopping the blood diamond dudes. But yeah, <laughs> he kind of was reminding me unpleasantly of Generation X and kind of a cross between Stretch and Mondo. <laughs> hey, these are my references. You guys can pull from X-Men number three. I'm like, yeah, this reminds me of that cheesy movie you made me watch four weeks ago. These are the only X-Men I know. The ones that pass before my eyes in these movies. Yeah, I didn't understand the boxing scene. It's just Wolverine has to fight everybody except Will I Am because I think if Hugh Jackman looked at Will I Am aside, I think Will I Am would piss himself. Yeah, Will I Am is, as already stated, not buff enough to really present himself as an equal to Wolverine here. So they've given him teleporting powers, right? That's what he can do. He's the only one in the whole movie that Wolverine doesn't fight. He fights every other mutant. Yeah. He didn't fight Bolt. All right. All right. Not Bolt. Bolt died too soon. Or else we could have got the epic Bolt versus Wolverine fight where Bolt turns off the lights and Wolverine fumbles around in the dark like when he was in the bathroom. Most useless power ever. So he beats up on Blob. And meanwhile, Victor goes and kidnaps Cyclops. Bullcrap! Why? Why? Why are they trying to tie everything together? This is a movie about Wolverine. Total bullcrap. That's, uh, oh. Actually, I kind of enjoyed the fact that it was another character from the X-Men world. I'm like, yeah, last, finally, someone that I know and care about. And at least Cyclops doesn't get the shaft here he got in X-Men 3. Well, he kind of did. I mean, not X-Men 3, but it's yet another movie in which he's incapacitated and not pretty much, a, you know, he's supposed to be the leader. You keep telling me he's the leader. I have never once seen him lead anything that doesn't end with him unconscious and kidnapped. <laughs> but I didn't see the need for them to be there. I mean, isn't he supposed to be like, I think Xavier says in the first movie, he's one of my first students. So why is he in school? Where did he get the glasses? I always kind of thought if he had the I-beam thing that Xavier helped him harness it with the glasses and now he's like just in high school with these glasses. Yeah, ruby quartz glasses. I think that's the material he has to use so his I-beams don't shoot out. Did he just go to the sunglass hut and try every pair on till he found a pair that kept the eye beams? And moreover, it's like his teacher never told him to take the sunglasses off until he mouthed off in class. Like, that's the first time. Uh-uh, you cannot get through school wearing sunglasses in class. That would have been it. No, there's no way. The first grade teacher would have gotten it and that he would have been in, you know, a zoo for the rest of his life. No, I find it hard to believe that, yeah, he was fumbling his way through high school with a pair of rose tinted glasses. But whatever, I'm seriously, I'm happy that they're tying it back to characters I actually care about. I have an actual reaction when he comes in the story that I had at no point with the original mercenary team, including your beloved Deadpool. I just didn't really see the need for him, and I still don't see the need for him. He gets kidnapped, and then later on he escapes, and he gives Deadpool I-beam powers. Why did it have to be Cyclops? Jacob, you always are bringing up Star Wars. This is like Chewbacca in Episode 3. It's stupid. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh! 
Why? They don't need him. Just let the movie be the movie. It doesn't need a tie in a one cohesive whole. Just make a good movie. It serves to shrink the universe and make it feel like everybody's bouncing into everybody all the time. Yeah, I don't lie. I didn't like it with Star. A big Star Wars fan. Hated it with Star Wars. X-Men. I'm going to hate it even more. And now Wolverine goes to New Orleans. And Jacob, you said at the beginning of this podcast you were surprised it wasn't all filmed on a backlot. This is supposed to, I think, be like a James Bond film, isn't it? Wolverine's in Vegas. He's in Canada. He's in Nolens. He's on Three Mile Island. Every place felt the same generic crud to me. I did not like the feel of this movie. I wish that they'd shot on location to give this movie that James Bond kind of feel. They had the money to do it. I mean, that's what's criminal, is that this movie cost an enormous amount of money. Almost as much as the last one. And they didn't even have the cast that they did for the last one. Well, besides Hugh Jackman, where'd that money go? Didn't go into the CGI, didn't go into the locations. Where did the money go? The catering? <laughs> they got Gavin Hood, people! They got Gavin Hood! I don't know what a Gavin Hood is. Have a hot-off rendition. Everyone wanted him. No, it's terrible. But yes, once they come to New Orleans, I'm clawing, I'm begging, I'm desperate to get out of this movie now. Because the last hope that I had for this would be that the thing that my X-Men friends have always been saying would save it. And that is, this series really needs Gambit. Gambit, Gambit, Gambit. As long as there have been X-Men movies, I've had people in my circle of friends screaming that Gambit is their favorite character. They love him. They can't wait for him to appear with Wolverine. They're just a great pair. Well, here he is... Throwing some cards around. <laughs> I don't even know what he is. What is his power? I don't... Is this the character that I have been waiting for four movies to see? You know, Stuart, you talked about how you liked with the other X-Men movies that they had these themes of chess in the first movie. You know what a gambit is, don't you? It, it's the opening move in chess. So you finally got your chess theme in this film. You should be happy that Gambit finally oh, showed up. I'm overjoyed until I realized that all he does is throw playing cards around and he supercharges things with his touch. He can transfer energy. So he transfers energy to cards and they become laser cards. And he in the comic has his boat staff that he could charge up. But here's the thing with Gambit. It's nostalgia. Arnie, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but Gambit showed up in the 90s. He was huge in all the video games. He was big in the cartoon in the 90s. He was kind of the bad boy like Wolverine. And, and so I think it's because he was just such a big character in the comics in the 90s that, you know, the generation that grew up with X-Men then, that was one of the big characters. So they recognized him here. They wanted him to finally show up in these films. What I can say is, I never really read X-Men comics. Jacob, that's, you know, you're the comic guy. I'm the multimedia guy. I watched the X-Men cartoon in the 90s. Gambit was a real big part of that. My X-Men friends kept telling me all the backstory to Gambit from the comics and things. I liked the Gambit I saw in the cartoon. I kind of liked the slick card playing thing. That said, if I'd never seen the cartoon and didn't know about his charging ability beforehand... I know I'd be confused as hell by the, his magic playing cards of death. I had no idea that, that he charged things. And even the, as you're saying that, I don't get it. Like, it's static electricity is his power? I don't get it. Like, all that he does is he throws cards and it cuts through some stuff. And then he more or less drops Wolverine off at Three Mile Island and disappears from the movie. They didn't even need this. If Blob says there's the island, they could have gone from that scene to Three Mile Island. Like, they did not need to have this detour to New Orleans. This scene serves absolutely no point except to have needless, poor staged fighting. 
perhaps needless. <laughs> I, I will argue on the poorly staged. I did like, you know, this is where Wraith bites it. Victor kills Wraith. And I, I kind of like that death. The year predictable. I like the three-way fight, even though I'm sitting here like, why is Gambit fighting Wolverine again after Wolverine just punched him out? There's no reason for Gambit to attack him. I don't understand why he attacks him in this film. He's fighting Victor. Wolverine is fighting Sabretooth. Gambit hates Sabretooth. He's on the same team as him. Why does he attack Wolverine? It makes no sense. No, it makes absolutely no sense. So, yeah, in that way, it is very needless. That said, the thing that disappoints me the most is this portrayal of Gambit. Taylor Kitsch is Gambit? Really? I find that really hard to believe. I mean, I, all I know him from is I saw a couple episodes of Friday Night Lights. This guy is terrible. I want a charming actor to play him. I want Gambit to be as cool as Ryan Reynolds was as Deadpool at the start of this film. Honestly, this guy could have been another Will I Am. He could have been a country singer for all I knew at first. I think you're putting a little bit too much negativity on the performance. I, I don't think he had anything to charm with. I mean, uh, this guy is dull. I'll admit that. But what was he going to do? How was he going? to impress us. It's a character that literally has no function in this Wolverine origin story. None at all. They do not need him ever. He's in here so the fanboys could finally see an on-film shot of cards being thrown. I mean, let's be honest. He was forced into this film because fanboys had been crying for Gambit. Well, I sure hope they got something out of it. That's the thing is, I would have loved to see Gambit in an X-Men film. Because one of the big things about Gambit from the cartoon series, and presumably from the comic, is he is attracted to Rogue. It's kind of the Bobby Rogue thing they had in the, these movies. It was Gambit and Rogue. And, of course, they couldn't touch. I would have loved some of that, but by jamming him in here... It, A, upsets me because this is now the Gambit we're stuck with. I know if they ever made X-Men 4, we'd never get a good Gambit Rogue storyline. Because now he'd be, like, really old and creepy around <laughs> Rogue. And the other thing is, I just, I didn't like the performance. Remy LeBeau is supposed to be smooth-talking and... Just that wonderful Nolan's attitude, and I got none of it from Taylor Kitsch. The accent was bad, the performance, it was bland, and I didn't want bland Gambit. As a fan of the cartoon, I wanted to see Gambit done well. Putting him in there like this, this is about as satisfying as the fact that he was listed on a screen in X2. I agree with you, Arnie. I, his charms eluded me, but I do feel like you're blaming Taylor Kitsch more for what the screenplay didn't give him, and that is, in order for him to be roguish and charming, he'd have to say or do something that demonstrated that. Where were the lines? Where was those moments? I mean, this writing is perfunctory and poor. It got the actor that it deserved. And another terrible CGI shot when Wolverine is bringing down the fire escape. Oh, what the hell was that? I don't know. That's the other one. I mean, so we had the claws in the bathroom and then this one too. Just awful looking. Again, it, it looks like did they hand animate some of these scenes because the computer crashed that day. I don't. Oh, it's awful. This was shot number eight that I wrote down, by the you, way. I, I must have a higher tolerance for bad CGI than you. <laughs> I think everyone does. <laughs> I had three mindless explosions, three pointless cameos, and nine terrible CGI shots. So Gambit serves his sole purpose of being a pilot to Three Mile Island. Well, no, it provides some comedy relief because, you know, Wolverine's like the tough guy, but he's scared of flying, just like Indiana Jones is a tough guy and scared of snakes. Tough guy is scared of stupid things is funny and not cliche at all, right? 
In the screenplay's meager defense, Wolverine's been afraid of flying since the first X-Men film. All right, I vaguely recall that. How funny, I never picked up on that ever, including this movie, but I'll, I can admit it. At this point, I'm really checked out of this movie. I'm not paying attention. This movie is like got the mutant power of sucking my interest away from me. Like, I cannot care at this point. It's just agonizing, right? Like, torturous, rolling on the ground, screaming painful at this point. So, yes, let's get to the climax. Kill and claw whoever you got to, and <laughs> let's get out of here. I'm not having as bad a time of it as you were, Stuart. I... Admit that it was dumb, and I realized about 20 minutes in that if I could just flip that little switch and turn my brain off, I'd be a much happier person. And so I did, and kind of just sitting back and taking it like a roller coaster ride and trying to not overthink it any more than I had to. Yes, I'm left with a lot of questions that I ask you, and you guys just keep coming back with the same answer. It's a piss poor screenplay. But beyond that, I'm I'm still kind of having fun. I like the fight in the alleyway. I like seeing Wolverine and Victor get it on. And I do have to say, though, I think Wolverine says Victor in this movie almost as many times as Kane says Carol Ann in Poltergeist 3. <laughs> that would be impossible. It seems like every scene starts, Victor! <laughs> That's the level of writing. I agree. That is that is how people emote, saying each other's names. I'll give the movie this. You know, we find out this mysterious island is actually the Three Mile Island. And if you're familiar at all with what happened on the Three Mile Island, like I thought it was kind of clever that, okay, obviously something huge and explosive is going to happen because that's all this movie's doing is big explosions. So to tie the, you know, Wolverine into the Three Mile Island disaster, I don't know. It's kind of humorous. They don't really play it up at all. I, I wish they would have, but... See, that's the thing I had to ask, is I was left with that question. Are they saying that this Wolverine-Deadpool fight that occurs here either A, caused, or B, was covered up by the three-mile nuclear accident? Because if so, I consider that to be in poor taste. Maybe I'm just rocked by the recent events in Japan on my brain. But the whole time, I'm glad they left it ambiguous about the three-mile island thing, because I am choosing to believe that they are not saying three-mile island happened because deadpool was decapitated in a nuclear tube well i mean three mile island didn't have a total meltdown either i mean it's not totally the same thing nobody really died from three mile island i don't think actually there were there were tons of birth deformities and no you call it birth deformities i call it future mutants Thank you. <laughs> I, you know one of the things uh, a lot of people criticize superhero movies for is that do they take into account all the collateral damage there's the great scene and yes the guilty pleasure movie demolition man where sylvester stallone blows up like five million dollar mall to save the girl with the hundred thousand dollar ransom they throw that joke and they're like i wish they would have just played that up in this that yes these superheroes cause this nuclear accident and, and maybe it did spawn future mutants like that's always been one of my theories is that nuclear power was behind comic books in the 50s because every superhero got their powers from radiation when in reality that would just kill you like I, I guess i was just stretching for some kind of subversive humor something more than what i was getting at this point because it was just so bad and cliche up until now if three mile island had been written in here well i totally would have been with it but however, we have footage. There's uh, all the news vans were standing outside of the factory. It didn't blow up. It didn't collapse. We have documentation that there was not wolves leaping around, <laughs> tearing it to bits. It's not a clever integration of what we know with what we don't know. It's hoping that we only have heard of Three Mile Island, but really don't know what happened. 
it's about as period as Texas Chainsaw's reboot was. I mean, it's it's <laughs> just 70s enough to reference these things, but it really is not the 70s. I still like that they left it ambiguous because to me, they're just saying it happened at Three Mile Island, thinking maybe this is post-meltdown, and that's why they're there, because Gambit says nobody wants to go near there because it might make you a freak. So if it was post-meltdown, sure enough, people are going to stay the hell away. So it's left to the imagination, and perhaps rightly so, because you guys would have liked it, I would have hated it. So here we can each take it the way we want. The script left it ambiguous. Intentional or not? Well, probably not. I'm just glad we finally have established what it is we're supposed to care about, because for most of this movie, it's been popping around to different places in the world with no real clear sense about what it's doing. Like, I had no idea what Stryker was doing. I didn't know what Wolverine wanted to achieve. I didn't know what Victor wanted to achieve. Nothing. It all comes out here at Three Mile Island. And this is where we find out, among other things, that Victor is working with Stryker and that they are... Well, walk me through this. Here's what I got. And I agree with you, Stuart, that we lose sight of Logan's mission when he gets to New Orleans, I think. We lost it in Vegas first. Well, maybe in Vegas, but his whole purpose is he wants to hunt down Victor to avenge Caleb. That's his mission. And then he gets the medal, so he has the power to hunt down Victor. Stryker betrays him. Now he wants to hunt down Victor, but he also wants to hunt down Stryker. And in Vegas, he realizes Victor and Stryker are working together. And there's experimentation on mutants, so that's when he realizes that this whole thing has been playing him. So now he's wanting to hunt down and kill them both to again avenge Kayla. He gets there, and he finds them both together. He's ready to kill them, but shocker, Kayla's alive. Bullcrap! Bullcrap! Remember in X2, I complained about Wolverine not being able to find the secret base that he's standing right on top of. He has animal sense. Mm -hmm. Here, we see him earlier holding Kayla. She's covered in blood. Did he not stick around for the autopsy results, for the funeral, to make sure her body went under the ground? She wasn't even cut. They just threw blood on her. This It makes no sense. And I know. He would have had to have left her by the side of the road, which doesn't seem very romantic, does it? <laughs> well, he immediately went off to go, Victor! <laughs> Yes, you're right. He must have run off right then and there to hunt down the killer and and just didn't think about, you know, practical things like funerals. I also have a problem. I've had this problem since the 1960s Batman series when Batman took a pill to fake death and stop the pulse. I hate this. It is such a cliche that there's a medicine that makes it so close to death that you think I'm dead even if you try to feel my pulse. Yeah, bull. No, no. I'm uh, stupid. Like I said, if, if she really loved him, she would have sought his help in breaking the mutants free. That would have been the mission. It wouldn't have been to play into this plot. And so when he finds this out, Wolverine just walks away. He's, he's done. He's just leaving. I guess. Yeah. Uh, again, who likes Wolverine at this point? Has this movie endeared anyone to this character? Is anyone thinking they like him better having seen this movie? I know that I not only didn't like him here, it was making me rethink my whole feelings about him in the last three movies. They were having the adverse reaction to what they were hoping to. They were not explaining a character we wanted to know more about. They were demystifying 
vilifying and deconstructing somebody who wasn't that cool to begin with. I mean, even worse, is he drops this line, I ignored my instincts. That's how he's fooled. Did we have a history of Wolverine getting played by women or being distrusting towards women? It's like everything in this movie, you're just telling me, I'm going to unleash the animal. I never see the animal unleashed. They just tell me everything in this movie. I've never shown anything. And that's maddening, especially with a film. It's a visual art form. Show me this. Show me how he had these instincts and he wasn't supposed to trust women. He felt so in love with Kayla that he ignored those instincts. No, we're just going to throw this line in there. I agree. If he's the best at what he does, what he does isn't that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But then Victor needlessly decides to try to kill Kayla. So Wolverine comes back in. Victor! And we get another fight. (laughs) Thank God, because that's the only thing that's going to distract me from how this plot is hurting my brain. Of course, we just had the Logan Victor fight in New Orleans literally 10 minutes earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. So this was starting to lose its novelty at this point. Uh, definitely. But Wolverine finally wins and then decides not to kill Victor because why? He's the good guy. <laughs> the whole movie has been, I'm going to kill Victor. And then at the end, Kayla yells, you're not an animal. All right, I'll let him live. That's exactly what I'm saying. You're not a killer. You're not Wolverine. You're not the guy that I thought you were from the other three movies. And, of course, they've got to team up to fight the greater evil. That's always the thing that unites arch-villains, is something even worse than their feelings about each other. And that is uh, Annihilation. Deadpool represents the mutant that will kill all mutants. All right, let's get into new Deadpool. The Deadpool Deadpool of this movie. I hate him. Oh, it's... Oh! It's bad enough that it falls into a couple of cliches here. One, they activate Deadpool before he's actually ready to fight. Yeah, I saw Judge Dredd when they try to activate all the clones. Didn't like it then, don't like it now. And it has no effect. It's no, not like that's... anything misfires. He's not ready. Okay, use him anyway. Hey, look, he's fighting real good. And then, yes, he's this generic DNA dump of all these different mutants. I saw that in, what, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, where we get the Terminatrix that's emerging of, you know, Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 with the liquid and the metals. I mean, just oh, so many cliches. Well, they have to have something greater than the mutants that they presented, and they have to have given a reason why they've collected all these mutants to begin with. So I can roll with it. I'm not going to say I liked it, but I at least understand what they're fighting. I don't know how they'll defeat it, but I know what they're fighting. Here's my problem is you get Ryan Reynolds to steal the show at the beginning, right? And this entire movie, I said before, feels like a video game where every level Wolverine has to do the boss battle, right? And sometimes the boss battle ends with Victor running off and shaking his fist for the next level. And sometimes the boss battle ends with Wolverine killing the boss. But here we're at the ultimate boss. It's Deadpool. It's Ryan Reynolds from the beginning. You get Ryan Reynolds, who ad-libs his way legendary status for me in this movie. I honestly didn't think Ryan Reynolds was in this ending at all. It turns out they did fly him to Vancouver for five minutes to do some face close-ups. The rest of this isn't even Ryan Reynolds. Why do you get Ryan Reynolds to be your ultimate baddie and then cover up his mouth and take away everything that we liked about him. And furthermore, okay, fine, you cover up his mouth because Stryker hated how mouthy he was. Right, right. Fine, ha-ha, funny. But doesn't, as soon as that stupid, crappy CGI katana blade comes out of his wrist, doesn't he use that to cut open his mouth so he could start talking again? Except he's a drone. Yes, but they activated him early, so he should be able to rebel somewhat. You know what I want to know is with that katana blade coming out of his forearm, how did he bend at the elbow? How did he bend his arm? Yes. Oh, I hate this film. (laughs) 
I love you guys hating this film, though. And I love the fact that, Arnie, you're defending it even as you're slicing it into pieces. <laughs> Here, here's the thing with Deadpool in the comic, because he's a hugely popular character. Yeah, Wolverine has like seven different series. Deadpool also can carry seven different comic book series. And he, he's a, this character. He was part of this Weapon Plus program. He's not a mutant. They just try to give him an artificial healing factor. And unbeknownst to them, he had cancer. And so this healing factor, it accelerated his cancer. And, and so he got horrible scars all over him. And so his body is always forming cancer and then the healing factor is always killing the cancer. And, and so it's totally driven him crazy because his mind has tumors and then they don't. It's totally destroyed his mind. And he's a satire of like this anti-hero that was really big in the 90s with comic books, Spawn and the Punisher and Wolverine. And he's self-aware. Like he knows he's in a comic book and he'll break the fourth wall in the comic and talk to the audience every once in a while. Like Ryan Reynolds is perfect for that. Like I thought Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds, perfect. This sassy character that's going to talk to the audience, wink and nod to them. No, hey, you know, I know what's going on. No, they don't do any of that. Like, I don't know why they use the name. Well, I know why they use the name Deadpool, because they knew it would get the fanboys excited in, in the theaters. But this is not Deadpool. This just makes me angry. And I don't understand why he can control the I-beams when Cyclops can't. I don't understand any of this. All I can say is... Some serious kudos, because I found out while listening to the commentary and watching the making of docs, there's a stuntman who replaced Ryan Reynolds who did all of those stunts without wires. You guys have been bitching the whole movie about the wire foo and the CGI. This is a real black belt doing all these flips and kicks and jumps and leaps all by himself and... All right, that's that's cool. No, it's not cool because they're superimposed on the top of a fake nuclear power plant. If you're not going to show something in a physical place, then it looks fake. It doesn't matter whether it's real or not. It looks hokey. Yeah, I didn't know the guy was actually doing real flips because it looks so bad on the green screen here. They, I mean, that wasn't a set. They were cut and put there. So if he was really doing that, it totally destroys that effect. You have to be in a real space in order to really see his natural agility and abilities. It starts in the hangar, and that's where I was really impressed. You're right. When they get to the top of the tower, it does lose something because that does look so bad. The CGI in this movie is unforgivable for the budget and the year. If this was 1992 and a $40 million film, I could forgive it. But in 2009, at their budget... They need to fire somebody. Okay, and this is the person that said this movie's good for the action scenes. <laughs> I'm just saying the CGI is terrible. I'm still enjoying the action. I love that, yes, it's a cliche, but I liked seeing Victor and Logan fight back-to-back -back just like they did back in one of the World Wars. And again, another cliche, Deadpool gets his head cut off and as he falls down this concrete tower they slowly separate and was it supposed to be cool that his head like did these perfect spirals and blasted the tower to pieces because that just looked awful <laughs> i kind of like that i i, I figured someone would like that yeah i thought it was fine i mean dumb but fine yes that it that it fell in a perfect circle and spiral yes you've liked so much other stuff in this movie that confounds me it doesn't surprise me at this point i think that's an insult <laughs> It is an insult. We're mad that you made us watch this movie. I don't know. You know, here's the thing about Deadpool is when you create the indestructible, it has all the power, super monster like this, it's never satisfying when they tell us how it dies. 
that's not satisfying. I don't believe he's dead. And indeed, depending on the ending you watch, he may not be. I mean, they got the spinoff they're trying. And again, I ask, would you really want to watch a spinoff of this? I would want to see a movie with the Deadpool from the beginning of this film, not the end. Yes, I want Deadpool Origins. More Wade Wilson, less of this monstrosity. Although I would like to see the comedy part where he can't bend his elbows to take a drink. <laughs> Plus, he has no mouth to drink with, so I guess he doesn't need to. Let me bring something back to Stryker here, because this is, again, if Stryker has decided that, oh, my wife is dead now, and I blame my son and mutants, and I want them all dead, and I've invented this creature that's going to kill them all, is his expectation that he's going to be okay when Deadpool comes and cuts up his wheelchair-bound son yeah i think so he, he was willing to lobotomize his son and use him to kill all mutants so why not here's the thing that bothered me is he said that his son's dna was in deadpool i don't see deadpool casting any illusions maybe his spit would you know had the uh, mind control substance in it but he couldn't ever spit because his mouth was sewn <laughs> shut well that was striker's downfall his, his hubris there he didn't <laughs> want to listen to him talk so he, he took that power away from him i don't know it just seems to me like this is not what you would create to kill all other mutants and i don't have a problem with deadpool and i don't have a, a problem with striker but i have a problem with striker in alliance with deadpool it doesn't make sense to me it's stupid but i go with it yeah it, i don't see this being the most efficient way to kill every mutant more to the point if you hate mutation you wouldn't genetically experiment on people that just that's dumb it's contradictory Speaking of dumb, bad CGI shot number nine, pointless cameo number three, Professor X. Oh, come on now, really? It's a bright spot. It's a quick ray of light in what is otherwise a dismal, dank picture. I was happy to see Patrick Stewart. Listen, I would be happy to see Patrick Stewart, but he looked like he was from a Roger Zemeckis CGI film here. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm right. He was creepy. That's awfully cruel. Uh, you know, I did notice there was something awkward about him. And, uh, you know, they were so good at, at de-aging him in the last movie. But here he just looked, I don't know. Um, it was, it was. Uh, I was happy to see him. So I didn't dwell on it. But, yeah, I, I admit he didn't look the healthiest I've ever seen him. They did such a great job, like you said, in three of de-aging him subtly. And I didn't even notice it at first. Here, it looks like... You might as well have just put a rubber Halloween Patrick Stewart mask on this guy. Really, because in that leaked version I may or may not have seen, when you get to the scene, it's just a really bad, non-animated CG place stand-in for him. So maybe he didn't show up to film that day and they put him in later? I, for me, I thought it was a CGI version. Nobody was there together, understand. There were children running against a green screen. There was a helicopter in a field. And there was Patrick Stewart against a green screen in France. And <laughs> animators put them all together okay. and then put a new head on Patrick Stewart at that. But, yes, Patrick Stewart showed up for an afternoon to say a line and to have some pictures taken that they could really screw up. Okay. As a non-X-Men, you know, aficionado, I just want to clarify. This Emma Frost... That's the same one from Generation X, right? Yes, and I'm also confused how she is 
Kayla's sister, the the Native American looking girl, is her sister is the Norwegian white blonde haired lady. No, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe they're just quote unquote sisters, and they're just sisters. They're <laughs> sisters in mutantum. You know, maybe they're not biological. Maybe they're yeah sisters. No, but yes, this is supposed to be the same Emma Frost in Generation X, at least by name. They never even say Emma Frost in this movie. They just keep referring to her as my sister with diamond skin. And I think she's even in the credits as Diamond Girl, but it's Emma Frost. Okay. It's Emma Frost. Yes, that's one of her power. Later on, you know, she has the psychic powers, and later on, she's able to deform this diamond heart skin when she needs to. And again, I, I think that was, ooh, fanboys, Emma Frost is going to be in the film. I, like, I feel like so many of these characters were just thrown in to draw in the fanboys. Well, yeah, they didn't do it for me. They didn't do it for anyone that wanted to follow a plot. This feel totally unnecessary. And I did. They feel like a lot of in-jokes with no storyline to hold them together. Seriously. The big plot for Stryker to get away from Wolverine is to shoot the man with the adamantium skeleton with an adamantium bullet. Like, does that make sense? Like, you know, diamonds are supposed to be the hardest thing in the world. What happens when you hit a diamond with a diamond? Like, does anything happen? It gets scratched, and they're like, oh, it can't kill him, but it's going to erase his memories? I kind of like it, because I don't like the idea that nothing can hurt Wolverine. But a, a bullet striking his skeleton's going to erase his memories? You like that? That makes sense to you? Honestly, I could go with that little detail. Of- you could, So nothing else in this movie you could go with, but the magic bullet that erases your memories, you're okay with. I'm siding with Jacob on this one because there's a moment where Stryker's talking to some random extra in SAG and she's going, the bullets won't kill him, but it will erase his memory. How does he know this? I mean, really? No, 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 no. I did not say I was okay with the memory loss. I said I am okay with the idea of the same metal being able to pierce the skeleton. I can go with that. All right. If this is the one thing that can hurt him, I thought it was to kill him. I thought, oh, he finally has something that can put him under. That's important. We need to feel those stakes. No, the fact that it's just so that he could lose his memory, that is terrible. And it totally undermines the tragedy of him losing Kayla, too. Like, the whole thing is he's supposed to be so traumatized that he'd lose this love of his life and the wolf howling at the moon, right? That's the fable, right? Wolf howling at the moon can never have what he wants. No, he'll forget about her because there's a bullet in his head. Yeah, but doesn't that make it all the more tragic that he doesn't even remember the love of his life? Well, it's not what the fable said. I dislike the whole way the memory loss was introduced here. I really do. I would have preferred the super science memory wipe of it being done that way versus if I shoot him in the head enough times, I know I can't kill him because he's immortal, which I don't like because it takes away all sense of danger. But it's too convenient. I'm just going to shoot him in the head till he doesn't remember anymore. Okay. It's dumb. Oh, it makes me so angry. Like, it's just an insult to the viewer here. Like, that we have this magic reboot bullet. Well, they have to get there. I mean, they do have to get us back to Axmith. Yes, they have to get there, but this is not how they have to get there. This is not the yellow brick road they need to take to get to that moment. Oh, we're in total, total agreement on that. But I am saying they had to do something to make him the Wolverine at the beginning of the X-Men movie. They have to make him not know who he is. Yes, I mean, that is the only thing we don't know going into this. So X-Men 2 had already told us how he got his power. The two questions we didn't have answered were, why would he volunteer and how did he lose his memory? And so they did have to make him lose his memory. I just didn't like how they did it. No. I would have rather had it be something 
Deadpool did or something Victor did versus Stryker with adamantium bullets shooting him in the face repeatedly. It's poor. So if this isn't enough, Wolverine is walking away. Stryker is walking off an island. I love that. <laughs> She's like, I, my last thing is I can coerce him. Walk into your feet, bleed. Um, he's on an island and it's three miles long. It's going to be a lot of laughs. <laughs> I did notice on a second viewing or 10th viewing, there's a bridge there. So I guess he walked on the bridge, but. Of course. Yes. But you gotta admit, it's funny. I mean, like, oh, walk into your feet, bleed. I, I mean, <laughs> Even I can walk three miles. It's really not not going to bleed my feet. But all right, whatever. And then credits roll. But because it's a Marvel film in the latter half of the first decade of the 21st century, there's got to be a bonus scene at the end. What I didn't realize until this retrospective, there's two bonus scenes at the end, depending on which theatrical cut you saw. When I was in theaters and saw it, I saw one where Deadpool's head opened his eyes and went, shh. Don't tell anyone how bad this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the one that's on the video as well. It's because on TV, they have a different ending with Wolverine in a bar in Japan drinking. And the bartender's like, are you trying to forget something? And he says, I'm drinking to remember. Like, is that a co- I, I I don't go out and get really plastered all the time. But do you get plastered to remember stuff? Like, <laughs> It's I, supposed to be a play because usually you drink to forget. No, I get that. But it doesn't make sense. If you're going to do a play on words, it should at least make sense. Like, who drinks to remember? Uh. Yeah. No, it's yet another idea that was poorly implemented in a, in a script that has failed this whole origin story. And I like neither ending. I guess adamantium bullet to my head, I would go with the Deadpool one. If only because it's funny to imagine him quieting an audience that is screaming at the screen <laughs> for what they've done to the characters that they love. But, uh, yeah, neither one of them feels like a satisfying conclusion to this. I mean, I feel like it ends as poorly as it began. Here's the thing, is with the true Marvel movies, the ones being done by Marvel Studios, the post credit scene is there to tell you about something that they are doing, actively doing. At the end of the first Iron Man, there's the scene with Sam Jackson, and that is leading us to the Avengers, which this entire retrospective series is leading to. Here, it's like, we might do Wolverine in Japan and we might do Deadpool. We really got to see if we can get our eggs in one basket or not. We don't even know what we're doing. Let's film a couple endings and just tack them on there. Even now, two years after Wolverine came out, they still don't know what they're doing with Wolverine or Deadpool. They keep saying they're going to try it. They almost started Wolverine, then Aronofsky bailed. And That's not the end of the project. I'm telling you, Wolverine will come out on time and over budget. It <laughs> will exist, and it probably will have a director not of Darren Aronofsky's caliber. It's really strange to me that he would even want to make that movie. They'll find somebody that'll sit in the chair. Well, he knows Jackman, so maybe they're buddies and... I would have liked to have seen another director with style and panache get back behind there. I want Brett Ratner back or something. I mean, God, no more Gavin Hoods, please. Yeah, Gavin Hood is back to doing Australian TV. I don't think we're going to see him on this side of the pond anytime soon. 
Yeah, you know, I was excited when there were the rumors that it was Aronofsky doing a Wolverine film in Japan. I talked about it at the beginning how that is a version of Wolverine that I really like, where he's roaming around in Japan and there's this samurai feel to him. And I love Aronofsky. I, you know, there's rumors way back before Nolan rebooted Batman that Aronofsky was going to do that. And I love his style. I, I would love to see him do a superhero movie just for his sense of style. I don't know if the studios would let him get away with it, but as bad as this movie was, I'm willing to go see an Aronofsky. Wolverine in Japan movie, but I guess that's not going to happen now. I'll see anybody make a Wolverine in Japan movie. I've heard so much about the stupid Wolverine in Japan storyline from everybody saying it should be what they make to the studio saying that Jackman read the comics and wants to make it. In fact, what I heard was that Jackman went to the studio and said, we should make a Wolverine solo film and it should be Wolverine in Japan. And Fox said, that's great. Let's make that the second movie. Let's tell the origin first. I'm like, okay, that was a bad choice. It certainly was. And I can honestly say after this one, I don't want another Wolverine movie, period. Well, I guess this leaves Jacob Stewart. Do you recommend X-Men Origins Wolverine? Maybe? Jacob. No, not even maybe. I mean, I think I've made my case throughout this podcast. The number of times I wrote cliche in my notes just drove me crazy. I don't mind a generic movie that can at least feel somewhat fresh or is at least fun. The, the explosions actually look real as opposed to a video game being played. I mean, this film, there's nothing alive to it. It feels dead. I, I thought Wolverine had a healing factor. I thought he couldn't die. Well, I just watched him die in this film. There's no joy in it. There's nothing subversive. There's nothing, nothing that I could grasp onto in this film. You know, we talked about Wolverine's crazy hair in the X-Men films. We didn't mention it here. It's flat. He doesn't have the big poofy hair. It's flat, just like this film. No, a strong, strong, strong do not recommend for X-Men Origins Wolverine. Stuart? I didn't think it was going to get worse than Generation X. I really <laughs> thought that was rock bottom. But, you know, that movie had an excuse, at least. Roger Corman didn't make this movie. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of talent. They had a lot of opportunities to make a competent movie. And at every given turn, they decided to make something terrible. I'm flabbergasted that this is where the series went. It's not what I wanted. I was disappointed by the conclusion of the X-Men trilogy, because a lot of the characters that I liked had disappointing character arcs. They were written out, killed off, whatever. But this may be the most disappointing end to any character in the X-Men. It's the last death. It's the death of my feeling about Wolverine. I don't want him. I don't like him. I don't need them. Goodbye, good riddance. No, not recommend. Ouch, ouch, ouch. You know, I really had to contemplate on this because I did rip this movie to shreds with my own adamantium claws during this podcast. I was right there with Jacob and Stuart taking the blows, but I guess... I kind of look at you both as the Victor Creeds in this war, and I'm kind of the Wolverine who I'm killing the people, but I'm feeling a little bad about it because I was kind of enjoying the movie, and it has some major flaws. A lot of them are technical ones. I, I have a huge problem with how amateurish this movie looks. I mean, yeah, I, it wasn't Generation X bad, but for a professional theatrical film, it's Generation X embarrassing. Yeah, I agree. But I like the performances. The story was threadbare, but I felt like the action held it together enough. And I guess I'm just used to seeing threadbare action films. I can compare this to so many that come to mind, like Charlie's Angels or The First Mission Impossible. 
you know, there's a lot of movies where it just seems like they write the action scenes and then come up with a connect the dots because they want those action scenes in it. And they just come up with whatever it takes to get the characters in a situation so that Wolverine can fly through the air at a helicopter. And the question is, do you go with it or not? And when the movie makers don't care about the story, then you can't count on the story to carry you. Now, I'm a big story guy, and so there's no way I can strongly recommend this. But the fact is, it's a fast-paced movie that has some good, exciting action, some nice stunt work, and some good performances of characters doing more with the script than the script gives them to do. There are some bad characters, Will I Am and Gambit, but by and large, I think it's a good, likable cast doing exciting things. I think that I'm giving this movie the slightest of passes, perhaps because of affection for the character that I've grown through the first three movies. Had this been the first movie out of the gate, maybe I wouldn't be so lenient. Maybe I wouldn't have the affection for the character that I do. But bringing to it the fond memories of the past three movies, I'm giving this movie the most, most faint of recommends. It's right on that borderline of maybe, because it's got a lot of crap wrong with it. But I just enjoy it enough, barely enough, to recommend it if you can turn that little switch off on your brain and just watch stuff blows up real good. I think it's beautifully shot and well done in many regards. So yeah, I'm, I'm giving this one the faintest of passes. But I agree with you both. It's a huge step down from where we've been. Yeah, the faintest of passes for a movie you've seen 20 times. I get it. <laughs> I wish I could agree that the action was good, because I could turn off my brain if I was enjoying the action. I thought it was equally miserable to the plot. But, you know, maybe this is not all bad, because what it means is, now we're done with Wolverine. You know, they're going to maybe make the prequel or not with Aronofsky or another director. Who knows what that's going to end up being. But we know... For our immediate future, next week, we're getting another X-Men movie. And frankly, I'm excited because look who's behind the camera. The guy that gave us kick-ass. That gives me hope, I gotta say. I'm excited by this. I know that I said in the Generation X podcast, the studio did not want to make an X-Men movie without Wolverine. They didn't think it would sell. Here they are doing exactly that. They made their Wolverine solo movie. Wolverine became too big for the X-Men. Now they're trying it, you know, Genesis without Peter Gabriel and seeing how that goes. Well, they do have Emma Frost in her corset and white panties and thigh-high boots. So for me, that's an acceptable replacement for Wolverine. That is a win, but they put Mystique in clothes, and that's a lose. Mystique is back. Very excited about that. Yes, I am excited about Mystique returning, even though it looks like it's like a 14-year-old version of her. Still excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like the whole idea of doing it in a 60s movie. I mean, essentially, what this came out of is they were originally going to do a whole bunch of origin stories, and the next one out of the gate was Magneto. Well, they didn't quite come up with X-Men Magneto origins. This is it, though. This is as close to that as we're going to get, and... Frankly, I mean, sometimes these reboots don't go well, like the movie we just watched, but (laughs) sometimes they go like Casino Royale. Sometimes they go like Batman Begins. I mean, we 
could really re-energize this whole series and have a new trilogy or a new life to it. That's exciting to me. What I'm really interested in knowing is, is this again the same continuity? I mean, here we got to see in Wolverine, Professor X and Cyclops. Are they taking that into account with X-Men First Class? Are they going to try to keep to the same continuity? Obviously, Emma Frost is in First Class. Is this a complete reboot where they're just going to forget what has come before? Or is this still an X-Men Origins movie, just not by the same name? It is kind of sad for X-Men Origins Wolverine that all that X-Men Origins stuff is unnecessary, as they never did make X-Men Origins Magneto. But I understand that some of the plot points from what would have been that origin movie are in this new film. This is Magneto's origin. They'll do that as much as they needed to. Again, I don't know why they have the origin stories for the characters they most had the origins in the X-Men movies, but it's just what they do. They're the most interesting characters. I do hope this is kind of a reboot. Let's break away. Let's do something new. And that's what I'm excited about this film, that it is set in the 60s, that there is this different kind of aesthetic to it. So I don't mind if they break away. I don't mind that. I want to see a new vision here. Well, the only thing that makes me nervous, I really find it hard to believe anything studios say until they've actually started rolling on it. But before X-Men First Class is even out, Fox is talking about getting the band back together for a proper X-Men 4. So that doesn't seem like they're putting a lot of stock in First Class. Of course, when the receipts come in, we'll find out one way or the other for sure. Yeah, that's true. It's probably accurate to say they're not confident at this point. This movie's had a problematic production much like Wolverine and much like X3. It's sort of the pattern. But they actually have a real director this time. Yes, but I don't think they know what they have right yet, and they're not sure that this is the reboot they want to do, but we'll see next week. This This could be the start of something great, and I'm confident it's going to be unique and, frankly, a step up from what we've just seen. The guy behind the camera brought us kick-ass. To me, I'm willing to give anything he touches a try after that, especially superhero stuff. I'm excited about next week, and guys, I want to thank you for joining me on all these films leading up to it. Arnie, I I hope your wounds heal quickly from this podcast. I hope we didn't hurt you too much. Arnie, what about me? I'm still bleeding from the eyes. Jacob, no one leaves a scar quite like you. (laughs) And if you're not done hurting me yet, why don't you vote for me seeing Ryan Reynolds in a couple weeks in the goddamn Green Lantern (laughs) garbage? Or you could do me a solid and let uh, send us to go see Super 8. Please let me see Super 8. Ryan Reynolds is the one reason I actually want to see Green Lantern yet. You know, despite that awful CGI suit, he excites me to see him again in a superhero role. So vote Green Lantern! I'm pretty sure I saw Howard the Duck in one of them suits flying around (laughs) in Green Lantern world. I think Howard's there, and I think he brought his production values with him. Hey, they just infused Green Lantern with 10 million more CGI dollars. So I think it's going to look better than what we've seen. And I hope the listeners vote for Green Lantern so we can find out. Well, then there's only uh, one more week to know. I mean, the results will be tallied in between now and the X-Men First Class show. So we will announce the winner next week. It's all coming down to you. I mean, you're my only hope. Please, Super 8, Super 8, Super 8. Come on, Spielberg, J.J. Abrams. 
I'm sorry, it does not look interesting to me. It really doesn't. I, I'm not interested in Super 8. They've not shown me anything to get me excited. Spielberg is hit or miss. This could be Jaws. This could be Amistad. J.J. Abrams, this could be Mission Impossible 3. Oh, wait, that wasn't good either. This could be Cloverfield. No, not good. So, Star Trek and Lost is what Abrams has. Put Abrams back on television, I'll watch him. Super 8, gone. Green Lantern at least has Ryan Reynolds. I know I'll laugh. One way or the other, I'll laugh. Okay, I didn't realize I was podcasting with the Ryan Reynolds fan club. All right, well. <laughs> hey, Van Wilder for the win. Just wait till we get to Blade. Oh, no. Oh, God damn, that's right. He's in that, too. Oh, so I, I've at least got one more Ryan Reynolds in my future. This year. You could deliver the death blow next week, though. I don't know if I could live with it. The Ryan Reynolds trifecta. What do you have against this nice Canadian boy? He doesn't make things I want to see, and I don't think he's funny. But that's about it. Well, we will announce that when we review X-Men First Class next week. Today's attack was only our first salvo. Our war will rage, and your cities will not be safe. Your streets will not be safe. You will not be safe. And to my fellow mutants, I make you this offer. Join us or stay out of our way. Thank you for listening to the now-playing X-Men movie retrospective series. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. Part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Told you if you came down this road, you would like what you found. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another X-Men film, leading up to the weekend of release review of this summer's X-Men First Class. The professor trusted you were smart enough to discover this on your own. He gives you more credit than I do. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, and Kick-Ass, as well as reviews of other series, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more. And individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. This is also crazy sounding. You said the same thing about my other ideas four years ago, but everything I said I could do, I've done. And now you're a chitting millionaire. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners. Show's over. Show's never over for us. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Me and my kind. The Brotherhood of Mutants. Links to our social media pages are found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Do I look like a man who exaggerates? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Don't you have any decency? Where's your sense of gratitude? Or do the guy have needs? You think I'm just here to be your dream grid guru? I want out of here! I want to end the big time! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. The whole world's going to hell, you're just going to sit there? Let's go. Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective Series is edited by Alex, Carlos, and Arnie. They say you're the bad guy. Is that what they say? 
Now playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or 20th Century Fox. The Marvel characters and all the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Oh, you get the point! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Apparently we have some issues with authority. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Class dismissed. Did we just lose the feed? Are we still alive? It was reminding me unpleasantly of Generation X and kind of a cross between Stretch and Mondo. <laughs> hey, these are my references. You guys can go from X-Men number three. I'm like, yeah, this reminds me of that cheesy movie you made me watch four weeks ago. These are the only X-Men I know. The ones that come past before my eyes in these movies. <laughs> Oh, I just never imagined in my life I'd hear anybody go, yeah, these are me of Stretch and Mondo. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad I could do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> me want $50. All right. Goddamn, Fox makes shit movies, but they sure like to pile on those bonus features. <laughs> I had to watch Wolverine eight times. I don't know. You said you've already watched it 12 times before. So, so. I'm at 20. <laughs> that Man, that's is ridiculous. 20 more times than I've wanted to see this film. <laughs> exactly. Like the fact that I had to see it again was like gritting yeah. <laughs> my teeth and sucking it up. Today we're discussing X-Men Origins Wolverine starring Hugh Jackman, Lauren Schuler. That's producers. Oops. Starring. <laughs> she was like, so good in that movie. <laughs> I'm like, Laura Shula Donner's second build? <laughs> Did she even have a cameo? She must have been the one whose ass cheeks produced this. <laughs> Early into now playing, we talked about doing the etru- X-Men retrospective connected to this movie. I'm so glad we have another chapter after X-Men Origins Wolverine. Wow, but- were we even doing now playing? <laughs> That is 2009? So yeah. 2009. That was, uh, yeah. Wow. That was fr- Friday the 13th. It was, the, it was right during fr- Terminator. We couldn't work it in to Terminator and Star Trek. Those were, those were causing the problems. Plus, you said you didn't want to have to argue with me about X-Men 3 being the best of the series. <laughs> yes, I, I, that's true. Nor did I want to see this movie. But here we are. <laughs> yeah, unless he maybe got some antimantium, whatever. <laughs> How do you say that word? Adamantium. Adamantium. <laughs> whatever. Adam Ma- Ant. Goody two, goody two, goody Oh, goody well, two. <laughs> is it named after him? No. <laughs> <laughs> like with the Cyclops eyes and the Andy, Adam blah, 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 skeleton and all of that. I'm never going to say that word right, so you don't even put it in the bloopers. I mean, it. <laughs> Adam Ant Metal. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't understand the boxing scene. It's just Wolverine has to fight everybody except Will I Am because I think if Hugh Jackman looked crosswise and Will I Am, Will I Am would get a black eye. Wait, can I say that? No, you really can't. <laughs> Particularly since he's called the Black Eyed Peas. But <laughs> I uh, obviously race means so little to me that I would say. That. Yeah. Gambit. If Gambit was put in there for the fans, that's a disservice to the fans. You know that that's like a f- the ass you don't want. It, it, I thought this was supposed to be a PG podcast. <laughs> You're right. Say, I forgot. <laughs> you have to. No, you have to. Cut and we could say say up with style and panache. Get back behind there. I want Brett Ractor. Brett Rector back. Brett Ratner. <laughs> <laughs> Right, 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 right. Okay, Scooby Doo, take a snack and be calm. We ready, Victor?